Keep it simple, Sam or Sally. That's right, the KISS principle. How do you kiss your complicated financial life goodbye? It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. You nailed it. I'm going to be honest. I thought you did pretty good. I wasn't expecting like the Sam or Sally thing because the way that I know that popular... Here's what you need to know. I have have a a child that if we use these keep it simple than the word that typically is there, that's a cuss word in our house. Oh. And I have a Pharisee that lives in my house that anything that is inappropriate or anything, she she tells (laughs) me. She's going to let you know about it. I've always told her, anything I produce, you can watch, honey. And I didn't want her to watch this video and see the S-T-U-P-I-D word and get upset. I like it. So we, She doesn't know how to spell that I'm yet. so glad because I was nervous. You know, on iTunes, we might have to put like explicit lyrics if you were to said that. So we're going to leave that uh, all on the up and up and good. Uh, yeah, so what the goal of today's show is, is we want to tell you guys how you can kiss your complicated financial situation goodbye. Um, this all comes about, I, I can tell you guys, I came out of college back in the mid-90s. So, so I used to daydream about how great it would be as I was preparing this tax return of what it would be like to be a sophisticated financial person. Okay. To have, What's a know, sophisticated financial well, person? I wanted, to, I wanted to have all the, the trappings of what success to 23-year-old Brian Preston right. was, which meant that I had a Schedule B with lots of interest from okay. different banks. I wanted to have a Schedule D with a bunch of capital transactions where I'd been buying and selling stuff and making money. Okay. I wanted to have a Schedule E where... You know, all my business K-1s were flowing through. Maybe some private placement stuff. Yeah, all my rental property. I wanted this thing because I was like, man, this guy who's got all this sophisticated stuff going on their tax return. He's got to be rich, It's got to feel great to just have all this going on. The problem is be careful what you wish for because you fast forward and you realize, oh my goodness, how did I get to this place that I am this complicated and now you start daydreaming, is this really what's supposed to happen? And, and I want to talk about kind of human nature. I think a lot of people, here's the other good thing that you guys don't know. I went this weekend down to back to Georgia for my mother-in-law's 80th birthday. Oh, that's awesome. It was it's actually, it was really awesome. And I took several books that I was behind on, mm-hmm. caught up, did a ton of reading because she has a beautiful screened-in back porch under a lot of really old trees just an awesome thing. And I started, you know, one of the things I've been noticing, I've been reading books for years, and especially in personal finance, motivation, all the things that we try to, you know, tell the money guy family right. about. And what I've noticed is everything starts running together on the theme. So, in terms of like what they share and the information that are in the books? But that's so counterintuitive to the way human nature and behavior is, is because we're always trying to build a better mousetrap. So there's always mm-hmm. new books coming out. There's always people trying to tell you they got a better system. But the truth of the matter is, if you want to know real good financial management, the concepts are timeless. And I got a case in point. Warren Buffett does his annual shareholder letter to Berkshire shareholders. That's right. Um, and Berkshire Hathaway shareholders, if you read his letter to shareholders every year, you're going to notice... Warren starts repeating himself. I mean, he literally does. I mean, this is, is there's common themes. Like one year, I think he did this two or three years ago. He had an irrational next door neighbor farmer. He talks uh-huh. about a farm that he had, and he had this irrational neighbor 
who what if he started throwing out prices every day? And some days, some days the prices are way overpriced. Some days the prices are way underpriced. You could sit there and cherry pick. That's his analogy. Yep. Is, and that's the way the stock market, he's trying to talk about how irrational in the short Daily term pricing is, the, yeah. the pricing is and why you need to know intrinsic value. If you go and read his shareholder letter maybe 7, 8, 10, 15 years ago, he's going to be talking about an unbalanced business owner Mm -hmm. who is constantly feeling like he ought to sell his business and is giving prices. These are the same concepts. He's just packaging them in slightly different ways. He's just repackaging it in the same way. And it's because it's a timeless thing. If you know intrinsic value, if you know what something's worth, you can figure out if you should be in something or be out of something. That's right. And I started thinking about it. We do the same thing, weight loss. Human nature is, and now I'm not talking about the medical conditions. Take that out because that sounds cold if you take sure. in people who have medical. But if you just think about the condition of, I'm in my 40s now, so I've started putting on a little more weight than I'd want. It really is caused, and, and I think finances work in this binary fashion too. If you want to lose weight, you know it's, it's either you have to exercise more or you have to consume less calories. Or at least eat better. Maybe not even less yeah. calories, but you got to eat better Yeah, but foods. at the end of the day, it all comes down to how much you're, the, you're putting in the machine and how That's much right. it's burning and yep. how efficiently. So you have to either work more to get the machine all revved up. That's the exercise. Right. Or you have to put more, less in the machine so it doesn't gain weight. That's right. weight loss. It's the same thing with personal finances. The personal finances, if you boil it down, are so simple in the fact that you, you either can make more money... Mm-hmm. Or you can spend or spend more efficiently yep. with what you have coming in. I mean, it really is coming down to those type of things. And that sounds so simple. And I think that we all feel like, and it's kind of like staff accountant Brian, thinking that to be successful, I had to walk through these complexities so that the world would perceive me as su- su- successful. Right. I can tell you as a guy who's now, you know, I graduated mid-90s, so I'm 23, 24 years removed from college have a growing business, com- cumulative, we're getting into our, you know, close to 35 yeah, years of right. experience. That is, a, a, it's a mirage. It just is not what you want because you're going to get to the age of success that you're going to go, I just want it to be easy. Mm-hmm. I'm just tired of all this complexity in my life. What can I do to boil it down? So that's kind of what we wanted to cover today was I want to give you the three rules to live by. This is so simple and it ties into what I was just talking about is if you live below your means, meaning that you go defer a portion of today so yourself tomorrow in the future could have a better life, that deferred gratification concept, you're going to be successful. If you can use debt cautiously, meaning that if you're using debt and you're not scared of the debt, you're doing it wrong. Right. That's number two. And then number three is spend for value. We talk about this. This is where you want to be building memories, not buying stuff, because the stuff is not going to help you. And if you can do that, you'll know that simple is actually better. Now, talk to me. You, you know, no, I'm a yeah. little older. What, no, what, no, what are you I, feeling about no, I'm, this? I'm sitting there thinking the same thing, because I think uh, as young people, we sit there, we look out to the people that we perceive to be wealthy, and you hear about how Warren Buffett, the example you gave, I think I read one time that like his tax return is something like uh, 86,000 pages long. I mean, it's, just, well it's some like ridiculous number like that. And it reminds me, I just think about a very simple real life example. Uh, when we're young, looking out to what we think financial success, financial independence looks like, it's like the dog that's chasing the car, chasing the car, chasing yeah. the car. Eventually, the car comes to a stop sign, and you wake up, and you're the dog, and you've got the car, and you're like, well, now what do I do with it? And we feel like, I feel like we talk to clients all the time that are in that situation. Their life has gotten so complicated. There are so many different parts, and now they're like, 
all right, I've got it. What do I do with it? And so one of the things we want to talk about is how you can get rid of some of that noise and get back to the basic, really those three things that you just laid out about spending less than you make uh, defer and uh, using that cautiously and then spending for value, making sure you're focusing on the thing that truly matter. And think about it, there's an entire industry of people who are trying to push products on you because they think that that's what you perceive that you need, these whole sexy yep. deals that are out there. How often and how much of our job as personal financial planners is unspinning the heads of people who go out there and somebody supposedly is showing them the better mousetrap, yep. the black box investment that's going to make their life better. And it's all smoke and mirrors. Yep. I mean, we have seen that with retirement products. We've seen it with strategies. Guys, there is something about understanding that simple is going to make you happier. Right. Now, simple, because becoming wealthy is unbelievably simple, but unfortunately, simple does not mean easy. That's right. And That's I do want to kind of walk through what is the difference between, because we believe in simple and smart decisions, mm -hmm. but if it was easy, we'd have a lot more of the population <laughs> right. that would actually be wealthy and be fulfilled with their money. But because of all this, this cottage industry that's pushing products that's putting us on this this treadmill, this, and we have this hedonic principle where you know we think that if we get here, we're going to this arrival fallacy mm -hmm. that when we get to this point, we're going to be happier and more successful as we reach this point. But then you're going to get there and you realize, I, I'm not any happier than I was. So we want to kind of walk you through what is simple and what can bring you into things so you're doing it right with your own personal finances. And I think it's important to mention, you know, because there's this entire movement, there's a few documentaries on this, um, talking about uh, minimalism, right? You know, how do mm -hmm. I do as little as possible? And that's not really what we're, we're not necessarily talking about minimalism, we're talking about simplicity. Because like, the house that you uh, built when you moved up here, you absolutely love this house, right? Yeah. But not all the pieces and components you would describe as simple. Is that a safe, safe thing for me to say? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's a difference between simple and minimalism. Mm -hmm. yep. and, and the fact that minimalism is you start shedding things. Right. And look, it, they could be interconnected, but I'm a gadget guy. I mean, I love when Apple comes out with new products. I love when my, you know, I, I have a Tesla Model 3. I love getting over-the-air updates. I don't know if I qualify as a minimalist. Sure, certainly But not. I do like the thought of understanding how I want every dollar to be purposeful. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, I want you to, and, and this is a good point. I'm glad you brought this up. You, the individual, have to figure out what is that gives you purpose and what you're passionate about, and then make sure that your resources and your efforts go after that. Right. Because that's the, the whole, and I read a column or an article about zest, or one of my clients said, you got to figure out that spice of life mm -hmm. that gives you purpose and fulfillment. For me, yes, I love gadgets, but it's also writing show content yep. for the Money Guy show and doing these things. And that's why I think I love, I do feel stressed out and overwhelmed sometimes because I just have so much I want to get out. That's not minimalism. Right. That's just, you know, being excited, passionate, but I want to simplify as many things so I can focus on what I think is important, which is creating great content, but also creating memories with the family and all the other stuff. So let's kind of jump into this. Because yep. I, I, here's the categories we broke this into. I want to talk about how investing is simple. Whoa, whoa, whoa. okay, O'Brien. Now you make me nervous when you make statements like that because uh, we make a living, right? One of the things that we do in our day job when we're not doing the show uh, is we help people do financial planning and come up with strategies for re to reaching financial independence. And a big piece 
of what we're doing is investing, is helping people choose how to do their dollars. And what you're saying is, whoa, whoa, whoa. investing is simple. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. You want to know when you have complete confidence in what you do for a living is when you are allowed, willing to be not, not literally naked. I mean, I'm going to keep clothes on around people, but I am willing to lay bare what I believe about from my experience of managing money yep. with my own money, as well as clients money for going on three decades is that, I mean, it really is. These principles are simple. Mm -hmm. They're easy. I don't mind you understanding it because I think you're still going to need me for some of these other things, right. you know, you're, you're, you're going to be so successful. You're still going to want somebody looking over your shoulder, but you're not going to have to buy the private placement. You're not going to have to do the hedge fund. You're not going to have to get into venture capital and all these other crazy things that lock up your money yep. or some complicated insurance strategy. You don't have to do this stuff. So let's kind of jump into what do I mean when I say investing is simple is, um, you know, and, and look, Bo, I know we both. This, I don't want you guys to think we've always been purists and had this all figured out. I know both of us are sitting on residual accounts as oh, yeah. memories yep. and reminders of bad decision-making. So you confess yours, and then I'll confess mine. Yeah, so when I, uh, when I first uh, was thinking about getting into this industry, I was in college. It was my very first investment course where I got to learn about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and how it all worked. And after sitting in this, this course for about half a semester— I was pretty much a genius. Course, I knew how to invest. Is. So all these folks who were out on Wall Street trying to do it, they didn't have it figured out like I did. So I went out and I bought some individual stocks because I had some insight around like some mergers between satellite radio companies <laughs> and some toy companies that had a recall. I had it all figured out. So I made the decision I was going to go buy some individual stocks and it was going to just go gangbusters. Well, I learned very quickly because when I was buying these stocks was around 2007, 2008 time frame. Right. Maybe a good time to invest, maybe not. I learned very quickly that what I thought I knew wasn't something I, I actually knew. So I've actually left. I have three stocks that I bought that I still own today in very nominal amounts relative to my total portfolio. And if I can, I will never sell them to always remind me to never think that I'm smarter than I actually am when it comes to investing. So my confession, I don't know if to blame you because you are the schemer. You know, <laughs> if, if y'all didn't know, Bo is this brilliant guy who passed all three parts of his CFA exam. First attempt with the last one being a week before his wedding. Who does that? You know, where you schedule <laughs> to, to take all your CFA exams and you don't have any barrier or, you know, you don't have any buffer. Right. Because if you wouldn't have passed that last one, oh, you're going to be married. Time was going to be limited. But so... Bo, because he's educated, brilliant investment guy. And while you were doing all this, I think it was while you were doing your CFA. Oh, study, yeah, it definitely was. We decided we were going to start doing some option strategies. Because we were smart. Uh, yeah. and, and, and here's here's the worst thing that can happen to you guys when you start doing complex strategies is to be right the first time. So, and we were so right the so first time. So here's what we did is I just put a few thousand bucks in the first time. And then we made two option calls. We bought some calls on one thing. We bought puts on something else. So we're betting for one thing. We're betting against something else. And guys, the money doubled, I kid you not, in less than three weeks. It was we awesome. doubled that money in less than three weeks. So we were thinking. We're all into something. We're, we figured this thing out. What are we doing? I mean, and, and I will tell you guys, I still keep that $167 account to show me that you can blow money so quickly yep. in options 
that it's just not worth it for me. Now, look, I'm not throwing options completely under the bus because I've done some great strategies for concentrated sure. positions. You can do some some collared strategies, some hedging strategies, or some great things. So, but we were so speculating. Well, we, I was straight up gambling. I right. was. It, it's even a, a leg above speculation in the fact that yep. we were totally throwing it up against the wall to see if we could do it. So I've had failures. But I can tell you after managing money for successful people as well as seeing what does and doesn't work, simple is your friend. And I want to talk about now what's important. Sure. Let's kind of transition. Here's the first thing. Number one on what's important and how to keep it simple with investments is asset location, asset allocation that reflect your age, goals, and complete risk profile. That's what's important. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful the way you said that because a lot of folks – understand and hear about asset allocation. Oh, okay, I know where you're going to go. You're talking about diversification. I should have stocks and bonds. Yeah, that's part of it. That's a big piece of investing. But how you spread out your money is, is important, but equally as important is where you spread out your money, the types of accounts that you house and how efficient it is. Because the unfortunate truth is, is uh, two things are certain. We always say Ben Franklin said this. I don't think he really said it. Two things are certain. Death and taxes. So you can't get out of taxes, but if you're going to pay them, you ought to try to pay as little as possible. And we, we always talk about this too, Brian. Uh, tax evasion is illegal. illegal to get you arrested. Tax avoidance, highly encouraged. True. And the system is set up to allow you to do that. The other thing I always tell people when we're talking about just asset location, asset allocation, is understand that risk has many components. There's risk tolerance, which is are you going to lose your mind if the world, if you know, if, if thing, if you start having some volatility? Yep. But then there's also what's called risk capacity, and I tell this to my cowboys and cowgirls out there: is that you could get to the age and look. I love. I'm an optimist, so I'm always going to be the person that you know. I came out in the mid '90s. You came out in 2008, <laughs> so you're kind of the the pessimist. Yep. I'm the optimist. So I actually like having more equities than probably. Um, most people, but I do think as you get closer to the point where you're living off the assets, you got to understand what's going on with yep. the asset allocation. Asset location, this is one of those things, because we tell people all the time, when you're younger and first starting out, buy those target retirement funds yep. where you're getting the first 100000 200000 But I will tell you, it's going you're no, going to notice that as you get more assets, tax, tax location means something in yep. asset location. But keep it simple while you're young, less than 200000 Buy a target retirement fund. Keep it simple That's and right. you're going to be okay with that. So number two on how do you keep it simple and what's actually important with investing, can create a consistent savings plan. I mean, if you can put the money just automatic for the people, have the money going in every month, half your job is over. And, and it also makes you a contrarian and a financial mutant because when the market's getting beaten up, you're actually saving yep. more money. I mean, you're getting more money to work for you. It, it's an incredible opportunity when you set up a systematic plan. One of the biggest things that breaks my heart, Brian, is I'll have young folks who will come and ask and say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to start investing and I've got this money. I'm ready to put $6,000 into my Roth IRA. Yep. And I say, awesome, that's great. But so often I'll see somebody do that and they'll put $6,000 they'll go buy the S&P 500 or they'll go buy a Target Day Retirement Fund. And maybe they just did it at a bad time. Right. They bought at the height of 2007 and then 2008. They're like, oh man, I hate this investing thing. This isn't going to work for me. Or even worse, they say, you know what? I'm going to invest this money and that's my retirement fund. I'm yeah. just going to put this 5000 Investing is just sort of a store of value when we have money that we want to put to work. 
It is a means to the solution. It's not the solution in and of itself until your portfolio gets big enough for it to be the solution. Yeah. So not having it consistent, not having money going in all the time, I think is setting you up to not be a success, at least until you get to the point that you do have that big, healthy, diversified well, I, portfolio. I'll give you an example. I, I, you know, back in the mid-90s, I came out of school, was working in public accounting, but I came across that book, The Wealthy Barber. Yep. Read The Wealthy Barber, and um, then I, I started giving it out to my buddies, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, my wording at the time was, guys, I need you to read this book because I'm going to have money one day and I'd like to have friends to hang out with. <laughs> so you guys start reading this book, too. And here's what I think is, is, is crazy is a few of them, everybody got energized from reading the book. Yep. And I had a few that actually set up IRAs. Mm-hmm. Put the money in, but that was it. And they never did because, anything Because, you know, else. it's like you go to a conference. What happens when you leave a conference? You're ready to run through a wall right. when you come back. There's a reason Tony Robbins can have people cross pits Walk of fire. Walk on fire. It's because you go through a conference. We could probably get you guys motivated. But if you don't create a plan of action that's going mm-hmm. to think outside of when you get that initial motiva- motivation and excitement... Yep. It doesn't fulfill with all your desires. So that's why I like consistent savings plans is because they let you take that initial burst of energy, but it gives it a legacy. So that thing keeps working even after your excitement might die down. I have several clients and I I saw, you know, you guys, whenever you get a free Tumblr, we always have you write Matt at Uh aboundwealth.com. Matt serves as a secondary on me on one client. And every time we have a meeting, I'm like, that guy right there, is wealthy because I have dragged him across building a savings plan because he's just not wired to be a saver. But every time we had our annual meeting, I'd be like, come on. I mean, look at your income. Look at, you got to increase your annual savings. And then Lord, you know, he's been a client for over a decade now, maybe even 15 years at this point. And And he's he's got a great portfolio. portfolio He goes, how did we get here? (laughs) I mean, really, if you will do that with a consistent savings plan, it will happen for you. So save 15 to 25% of your gross income. That's simple. And that's going to be the thing that is going to change your life. You won't miss it if you structure it properly. And you can keep that if you and look, I understand there's some 26-year-olds watching this. They're like 15 to 25%. That Not a old guy right there is clueless on how hard my money is right now. I get it. But you can go ahead and start with maybe 5% or 7% or at least get the match from your employer. Yep. But then when you get that next pay raise, why don't you let at least 30 to 50% of that pay raise go towards increasing your savings? And before you know it, you're going to be at 20%. You're going to be a hyper saver and you're going to be all your dreams going to come true. I think that's uh, perfectly said. The, the third thing, you know, we already mentioned uh, in investing, right? So you can control what you save. You get to control your behavior. Uh, you get to minimize your taxes. So I'm going to call that control or you get to control your taxes. The other thing that you get to control is what you pay in expenses, what you pay in fees. And if you want to be a successful investor, you have to keep eyes on fees. So number three, low cost investment choices. Yep. Now, this is the part that lays us naked or bare. And the fact that I like index funds. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of financial advisors, a lot of you guys that are working with other advisors, you go like, Index funds. My guy says that, well, I shouldn't do index funds. I should do active management because I got somebody who's watching the stock market at all times. Here's the dirty little secret and why most financial advisors actually for themselves are buying index funds. According to Spiva, the S&P 500 for the last five years has outperformed 82.14% of the actively managed funds. So eight out of 10 funds underperformed, underperformed just buying the flat out index. That's exactly right. 
So there's a lot of people out there going, wait a minute, okay. If the 80% are getting beat by the S&P, that means there are 20% of advisors right. and managers. And maybe my guy is so good, he's buying that 18 to 20%. I see what you're doing there, but here's the thing. Spiva actually tracks what they call persistence. They okay. follow these 20% of these managers that are supposedly outperforming to see what percentage of them continue to outperform mm -hmm. on a year-over-year -year basis. Listen to this stat. According to their research, only 0.91%, so that's less than 1% of large cap and no mid-cap or small cap funds managed to remain in the top quartile at the end of the five-year measured period. So if you were good enough and you could select two out of the 10 that might have done it in a one-year period, then you'd have to thing. select one out of a hundred that could do it inside of a five-year period or it's less than gonna, one of a hundred. It's, it's impossible. And, and here's the other dirty little secret that managers don't like to tell you. If you have taxable money, meaning taxable account, and so any dividends, interest, capital gains is going to be taxable to you, index funds because they have very low turnover rates. Because think about when does it, when does a new fund get put in, when does a new stock come into an index fund? It's when they turn over the index yep. fund where they kick off the Xerox, and then they bring on the Google or right, whatever. Right. You know, I'm just using very simple examples. That's the only turnover. Yep. So there's very few taxable distributions that occur in, in, in index funds. So a lot of wins in that. I know that that lays bare um, because a lot of financial advisors are still pushing managed products mm -hmm. and managed products with big commissions of three to five percent on those A shares. Yep. I think there's a better alternative. So I just want simple is buying those low-cost investment options. Like I said, if you're less than 200000 maybe even look at those target retirement yeah, that's funds. That's a great solution. Great options out there. Number four, understand your investments. Now, this one I think is so funny, Brian, because I would say that one of the things, again, what we do for a living, we get to help folks make wise financial decisions. A lot of what we do is folks will come to us and they've had some success. Maybe they're successful in a different field in their career and they've been sold something or they've bought something, they've participated in something. They come to us and they say, I don't know what this is. I have no idea what I've bought. I have no idea why I have this. And so what we try to do is we try to make the complex simple and break it down. But the question we always have to ask them when we talk to them is, okay, well, why'd you buy this in the first place? And you know what the answer we most often get is? What? I don't know. Because I don't know. Because it sounded good. So that's what I, I think if really, you just heard me pushing, telling you that index funds are going to be your friend. Why buy some complicated strategy? I have, I will tell you, coming from a public accounting background, I have CPA friends that come to me with all kinds of schemes. I, I use the word schemes appropriately yep. for getting, and I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this no. because I have seen too many oil and gas partnership and tax havens yep. blow up, you know, from, from other schemes that I'm just not going to do those type of investment things that are not what I consider straight and narrow that are going to get me through this and probably do a much better job with a lot less complication, a lot less stress and going to help me reach my financial goals. So understand what's going on in your investment portfolio. If you, if you couldn't uh, take what the advisor says to you or what the investment company says to you, take that information, go and repeat it to your neighbor and be able to talk about it intelligently might not be the best thing for you. I've heard you say it in a, a different way, too. I, I always liked it because I thought you were going to say it because I've heard you say that example. You say, if you can't turn around to somebody in a grocery store line yeah. and tell them yep. about your investment, it's probably, probably not, not for you. That's so, exactly so right. I, I always thought that was a great analogy. So let's, let's pivot. We just talked about investing is simple. But you know what else is simple? 
Estate planning is for sure simple. That can't be true, Brian, because in order to do estate planning, you have to go see an attorney. And I know firsthand that attorneys have to go to school for like a gazillion years and they have to pass like bar exams to be able to even practice law. No way can estate planning be simple. Plus, don't you know there's some boogeyman government accounting oh, yeah. office out there that that's wants right. to tax all your money when yep. you die? That's, that's what we're kind of pitched. Yep. The world has changed, guys. You know, when I first came out of college and started managing, you know, working in public accounting and managing money, the estate exemption was around $600,000. So if you had like a 401k and like your house was paid for, it Especially wasn't too... if you lived in certain parts of the country, if you owned a house, you had an estate you were, tax yeah, issue. You so were this there. thing really was hiding under your bed at one point in your life. But guys, pay, if you've been paying attention, now the estate tax exemption is like $11 million a person, over $11 million. And if you're a married couple, you can actually give the unused portion to your spouse... Yep. It's amazing. So this thing is impacting such small percentage of people that the estate taxes are not the problem. Sure. The big things you have to think about, think about keeping this simple, is does your plan reflect your end-of-life decisions and where the money's actually going? Because that's the problem I think so many people have in their mind that if they talk about estate planning, if they talk about end-of-life things, that you're somehow putting a hex on yourself right. that these things could more likely happen. I'm telling you just the opposite. If you will do this, if you'll do this unfortunate, scary discussions, you're actually going to make your family's life simpler, easy, and more efficient. And you might find out that some conversation you have here saves you a lot of heartache, or at least a loved one's heartache years into the future. That's right. you know, I, and what, what we say is estate planning is simple. What that does not mean is that estate planning can't get complicated. Brian, we have a great story. You have a client, a family that we just absolutely adore. Uh, and they came to you because they had recently met with someone who had prepared an estate plan for them, correct? Yeah, this family, they're going, a few of them are going to hear this show, but I'll go ahead and, and make it funny. I, I have um, two brothers that, that listen to the show, successful guys, and I, and I still crack up, crack up about this is that they didn't want to hire me. They figured what they do is they push their parents forward <laughs> and let them be the guinea pig before they both ended up hiring me too. But uh, so I thought that was very noble that they pushed the parents, uh, you know, the, the family patriarchs forward to make sure that, that we were good and who we said we were. But in, in full disclosure, I will tell you that this, this, the, the parents, very successful in their own right, got a hold of a seminar attorney mm -hmm. that I didn't love some of the suggestions sure. that were put out. I mean, it was some very complex, um, supposedly to keep your asset protection mm -hmm. and, and avoiding things. It was less than ideal. And I think if they wouldn't have had somebody like, you know, adult children who were very good with their finances, as well as a financial advisor telling them, hey, this is not ideal what yep. this attorney is trying to do to you. They, this attorney would have spun their heads, put them into something complex that would have generated a lot of trust fees, a lot of annual administration Different fees. tax returns. It, it, just, it was just going to be a nightmare to administer this thing. While they're alive, much less when they couldn't speak anymore and passed away and this stuff became permanent. Yep. So be careful. Simple estate plans do not always have to be complex. I had an estate attorney, um, very successful, that often told me, look, Try to be, even for complex estate strategies, try to bullet down to the lowest factor possible. Yep. I mean, I talk about it later, but like fractions, there's a reason, guys, when you're doing any type of math, they don't let you put 64 over, 
82. You know, uh, you know, 82. You've got to boil the fraction down to the lowest number. You can do the same thing with your estate plan. There's no reason to create unneeded trust and other things. Right. So, so keep it as simple as you possibly can. And, and I even give this advice because a lot of folks think, oh, well, I'll, I'll do the estate planning when I get to that <laughs> stage. We think that, you know, who should have an estate plan in place? It's anybody who either has stuff that you want to have a certain thing happen to when you pass away or people that you want to have taken care of if you're not here. And so just like we give you the order of operations, we have a financial show where we talk about how you should prioritize your dollars. We even think there's an estate planning order of operations you can think about. Uh, just starting out, very simple. If you just have things that you know you want to go certain places. Yeah, sentimental stuff. Do something as simple as write it down. Get on your computer, type up, I want the grandfather clock to go to this kid, and I want this to go here, and I want this. Do that, print it out, sign your name and put it somewhere. That's an estate plan. It doesn't have to be notari notarized and all this stuff. It's just something simple that states what your wishes are. Well, then, say, maybe you graduate past that and you have slightly more complex or you want to have something a little more official. There are websites and services where you can go out there and for... 199 bucks, you can go do your own estate plan yeah. and you do can print out a template and do some boilerplate. And then once you get past that stage, maybe you have children entering into the equation or you start to have larger assets or more complex assets, then you can graduate to actually going to see an attorney that can draft a real document for you and actually have an estate plan customized for your specific situation. Yeah, so you can start slowly, ease into the shallow end, but as you, by the time you get to the deep end of having assets and complexity, You'll have a partner that can help you with, right. it with an estate attorney, but there's no reason this has to be complex for just the sake of being yep. complex. Let's talk about what's important because we had two or three, we had three ideas here that we wanted to make sure we shared with you. Number one, beneficiary designations. This one, we've had projects. We're actually working on it right yep, now. We have, sure. as Bo told you, sitting in the other room, we have the, the, inaugural class of abound wealth interns that's right we're hoping this will be a long running legacy where every year we bring on more interns we're working on a brand new project where we did what's an update project we did this probably six years ago yeah, we're doing right. it again where we go over beneficiary designations mm -hmm. with our clients just to ensure because realize i think a lot of times people say well once i get my will done i'm, I'm done. done check you know, out yep. well done we got our estate documents no realize that there's a lot of things like Life insurance, you know, your beneficiary designations on your life insurance, beneficiary designations on your retirement accounts, those things work outside of your wills and estate documents. So pay attention to what's going on with your beneficiary designations. And did you know this? Not only do you need to say who the beneficiaries are, there are even selections you need to make inside of your beneficiary designations. Like if you have adult children, do you want that designation to be per stirpes? or per capita. If you don't know what those means, go look those up because those are pretty important. Do you want it to be split amongst your remaining children? Do you want it to go to your grandkids? That sort of stuff matters. So you want to make sure that you check that. And this is something that's absolutely terrifying. Inside the society and culture in which we live, it's not uncommon for there to be marriages and divorces oh, yeah. and uh, people who pass away and siblings and fall. Just because a life change happens like a divorce, doesn't mean that your beneficiary designations automatically change. <laughs> or just because you get married, it doesn't mean that they automatically change. You want to make sure that you update those things to make sure that your accounts and your structure ultimately matches your wishes. Yeah, no doubt. Especially life, big life changes like births, divorces, mm -hmm. deaths. Update those beneficiary designations. Number two, wills. This is important 
Guys, and I've said this, this is like a broken record, and I apologize because a lot of you guys have been listening for a number of years. But if you think your financial life is going to be complex while you're alive, die with kids without leaving behind a will and telling somebody who's going to get these kids. Because if you think it's complicated with you, I can assure you, the state that you live in is going to do a much worse, much more complicated, much more expensive Mm -hmm. task then you will if you'll just have that uncomfortable conversation with your loved ones. So do it now. And, and we, I have some uh, some clients that we're working with right now who said, oh, well, our, our wills are reciprocal. They look the exact same. So we're just going to have uh, one will in place for one of the spouses. And uh, while it's very common for wills of spouses to look identical, you do want to make sure that you have that will for each person because just because the wills would look the same, if one person passes away without a will, they pass away intestate without a will, which means their estate still has to go through the probate process. It can lock up the assets, it can slow everything down. Don't just assume because two spouses have uh, identical wills that you only need one will in place. You need to have one for each of the spouses. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, number three, term life insurance. Guys, look, We're not insurance salesmen. We don't even want you to go buy a ton of insurance, but we both have lots of life insurance on our sales because realize when you're younger, when you have family members that are living off of your income and you have debt obligations, you have funding goals like college, there's a lot of things that if you left tomorrow and we never know when that bus might throw us, you know, might get hit. Yep. And that's always the thing we say on a Tuesday afternoon. It's much better if you'll go ahead while do a term, uh, you know, a 20-year, 30-year, figure out how how many, you know, how many years the kids are going to be in the house and how many years before the kids graduate from college and how many years before you reach financial independence, buy term life insurance for that. And you know, a good rule of thumb is 10 times your income yep. plus maybe whatever your mortgage debt is. Yep. Those things are going to help you out, and that's going to make your life of your survivors and your your loved ones much, much easier. If you're out there listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, any of the places where you just get this uh, content uh, uh, via audio, audio... Audio only. Via audio only. I don't know why I couldn't get that out. <laughs> One of the great things we do in these live streams, we actually have a live chat going on. There were just two great comments that came in that okay. tied to this, and I thought they were beautiful. Um, one, I'm going to change what Lee said a little bit, but she said, hey, who you pick as your executor matters. Yeah. Because there can be family strife, or there can be sibling issues, or maybe something has changed. That's the person who actually administers your will. So even if your situation hasn't changed, if someone else's situation has changed, yeah. it might make sense for you to update that. And then Danny just threw this out. Hey, even on like your taxable accounts, it might make sense to add a payable on death or transferable sure. on death designation. That's a great point. Thank you guys so much for being in the live stream and making the show better in real time. Yeah, I've done, you know, trust documents or payable on death. Those things can be great, real quick and easy things you can do. It's much better. I can go ahead and tell you guys, um, think about those type of changes instead of just going down to the local bank and making yourself a joint tenant on your parents' or grandparents' account because that opens up a whole nother level of complexity with gift tax returns and other things. And you probably didn't even realize. You just wanted to have access to make sure the money flowed to the best place possible. Make sure you measure twice before you go just slap your name on somebody's joint account. That is is a big no-no that I see people make that mistake All all the time. So we talked about estate planning is simple. Investing is simple. You know what else is simple? Debt is simple. Oh, oh. So I want you, and this is, look, we've done some debt shows recently, and I mean it. 
You need to own your life. You're not borrowing your life. You need to own your life. So this, you know, renting or pretending to be successful is not usually going to work out well. Yes, it might look great when you're going out to eat Friday night with that, you know, group of friends that you met in the neighborhood. But I promise you, when you get to be 50, 60 years old, when you actually can be laid bare on who's naked in the water and didn't save for retirement like they were supposed to. A lot of nakedness, a lot of nakedness in today's show. But it's um, it really will show you. I, I use that Warren Buffett analogy is you can always tell who's naked when the tide goes That's out. Right. And I'm telling you, that happens when you're in your 50s and 60s. Yep. So go ahead and make sure you own your life because pretending is not going to be what you want to have happen. And then how did we ever get to the point? I want to kind of go through some examples of mm-hmm. things that are bothering me in society right yep. now. They're kind of ticking me off. How did we get to the point that cars can be financed for seven to eight years? It, does, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think most of it, if we looked at the stats and we should have done this. Oh, I did look up some stats. Most people don't even own cars for seven to eight years, do they? The average car, I don't have how long people own okay. cars. But I do know the average car loan as of October 2018, so this is not that old, 69 and a half months. That's more than five years. That's unbelievable. And by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, there are like two types of assets. There are appreciable assets that get more valuable over time, and then there are depreciable assets that get less valuable over time. You know what an automobile is? It ain't this one. It goes down. So why on earth would you have a 69-month loan on something that gets less and less and less and less and less valuable through time? It's much better to sell cars than it is to buy cars. (laughs) I can promise you that because when you you buy cars, the dirty secret is, is, I mean, I had somebody tell me, I think the first year you buy a brand new car, it depreciates like 30% right in the first year. It's heartbreaking. Disgusting. I mean, so, so pay attention to that. Don't do, if you're not doing, and let me go ahead, uh, uh, you know what, I'll save it for what's important. Let me go ahead on my rant here. Stop applying for those 10% off day, you know, 10% off coupons that you get for brand new store credit uh, when you're at the checkout line. Yep. Like when you go to the home improvement store or you go to the, your favorite retail store where you buy your undershirts and underwear and they say, hey, would you like, I see that you have a $35 bill today. Would you like to get 10% off that by signing up for one of our store credit cards? The answer is no, <laughs> no. I don't need to have three fifty off my thirty-five dollars because this will haunt you. I can promise you, these things will haunt you, and that three dollars and fifty cents will be made up by late fees, high interest. It's predatory, so stay away from that. This is so Pavlovian. Uh, you know, I'm a simple man. I'm really easy to read, and my wife knows that one of the things that gets me really excited is like a good deal or saving oh, money yeah. on something. Oh, yeah. And so it's so funny. Every time we ever go out shopping together, we're at the counter and we ring up whatever. And they're like, "Hey, by the way, today." you can get 25% off of your order. She always does this to me. She always looks at me and she goes, because <laughs> she thinks I'm going to be excited about that. But we've done that enough now. She knows our answer is still no, even though it'd be- It's a ripoff. Say, That's a ripoff. We need a That's straight exactly up right. ripoff. So let's talk about what's important with debt, because debt is simple. Number one, the debt you carry should not exceed 35% of your income. That's total. I mean, I'm talking about cars. I'm talking about house. I'm talking about student loans. Everything, 35%. So here's some really easy math. Go take every debt payment you have between your mortgage, car, student loans, credit cards, everything you just said, add them all up, uh, divide by 0.35. Do you make more than that in a month? There's your math. If, if, if you don't, we got we to work on that. So total mortgage debt. This is your housing. I want you to you count your principal and interest, your taxes and your insurance. 
I don't want it to exceed 25%. I know there's somebody out there on some publication that you read that's gonna tell you you can do 28%. That's hogwash, it's 25% because we want you to save that 3% so you actually can go on a vacation that's or build right. some memories with your kids. Don't yep. run it up to what they tell you you can do. Um, you know, and the also, here's another thing. I want you to have that mortgage paid off before you actually are retired. You're not mm -hmm. truly unencumbered and full, truly financially independent unless you tr have paid off everybody. So I know that there's a whole mathematical calculation with the deductibility, which is, by the way, getting less with all the uh -huh. that much higher standard deduction. But man, it would be nice if you could transition into retirement and have one less stress right. on your plate because it's not always about the numbers. It's a lot of it's about the numbers, but there is something much more powerful to having that debt completely paid for. Credit card debt, what is that? It should not exist. There is no such thing as credit card debt. I love it. it no, it's true. You can have a credit card, but you can never, ever, ever have credit card debt. If you're not it. paying off your credit cards monthly, you're doing it completely wrong. If you can't pay it off monthly, you got to go the, the 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 teetotal route of like Dave Ramsey and others have talked about. Mm -hmm. You just don't even get credit cards because you don't have the discipline to use it. Yep. Number four, keep student loans below anticipated first year of salary. Yep. So if you're in school right now or you have loved ones in school, try to keep those student loans down. I did see something. It's all over the news right now. Awesome guy paid off the entire graduating class oh, yeah, yeah. of I saw student this loan yep. debt. He's a, he's a tech you know billionaire. Um, what an awesome mm -hmm. thing. I mean, God bless this guy for paying off that $40 million of debt. I will tell you one thing I've seen nobody talk about in the media that did shock me is that that is a small graduating class. How the world do they have $40 million of debt yeah, because didn't it come up to like six figures per, per it's student? It's almost like $100,000 per student. Shame on, and this is something I think our education institutions need to take responsibility to. What are we doing sending out all these students with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of student loan debt? Do not let that student loan debt get bigger than your first year of anticipated salary. Now, look, there's excep exceptions, of course, for medical doctors sure. and others, but you even need to be careful because there's no reason to come out of school where you're so far in debt that you'll never catch up. Yep. But to the gentleman that paid off the $40 million, God bless you. Awesome. I've seen a lot of people that are kind of upset. I'm like, you ought to just say thank you. Yeah. I mean, we need more people that just pay it forward and being generous. Good for him. Let's keep it moving. Hey, and if you are looking for a financial advisor, I know some guys. So oh, come on. We're not, no, out. thank you. Just throw we, it out no, there. no blank. You know, we're not soliciting him. We're saying thank you to him. Number five, vehicle loans should follow the 23-8. Oh, yep. I love now, it. Now, what this means is you go put down when you buy a car. Now, realize this is all non-luxury brands. All non-luxury. We're talking about... You know, Honda, Honda Toyota, Toyota, Chevrolet, Kia. Ford, yep. you know, the Kia, the Hyundai, those type of things. You need to at least, I know you in the beginning when you're in your 30s especially or 20s, you can't pay cash mm -hmm. yet. I mean, I want you to, but you just can't do it. So you need to put down 20%. You need to run your amortization table at three years. I'm okay months. if you actually take a four-year loan, but run the payment at three years because that's when I want you to have it paid off. You can do the four years because of the flexibility and payment, but you need to have it paid off in three years. And then that should never, the eight is that it should not be eight more than 8% of your total income. Now look, if you're married, that 8% should be for both of your cars. Uh -huh. That's not 8% per car, that's 8% <laughs> in total. So spend it accordingly. Love it. So that's debt. Debt is simple. 
You know what? Estate planning is simple. Investing is simple. But you know what else is simple? Emergency funds are simple. Yeah, they're simple. Man, it gets screwed up a lot, I feel like. Yeah, because here's the thing. You know what happens? This is what people don't understand. I was reading something. Somebody I really think a lot of, I'm not going to say his name, but I was looking on Twitter, and he was saying that once you reach to a level of success, do you really need to be liquid? Do you need to have him? I was like, yep. yeah. yeah. Because absolutely. let me tell you, I've been through enough downturns Unfortunately, things all go bad at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, the stock market goes down, but, you know, everything else is like, you know what? Who cares? International doesn't go, you know what? America's down right now, but that's a great time for us to go. No. You know, in 2008, even bonds, we think when we buy bonds, they're going to protect you in right. downtime. Go look at what the bond marketplace did in 2008. We all in 2008 thought that the wheels were falling off the wagon completely. The, the analogy made, because I know this has been 10 years, everybody has forgotten. People were making the analogy back in 2008 is that the, the system, the financial system was so broken that it'd be like you going to McDonald's. And you know, McDonald's has two windows now. Mm -hmm. They have where you pay at window A, and then you drive, and window two is where you pick, pick up your food. food. Yeah. They were saying the banking system was so screwed up in 2008. It'd be like giving your money in window one, driving to window two, and they're not having your Big Mac for you because the system was that broken. So we got to the point where the wheels were falling off that even bonds lost money. So this is why I tell you, emergency funds need to be simple and accessible because when it goes bad, you're going to want cash. So cash is king when it comes to emergency results. And I'm even gonna throw this out there. You know, if you wanna really do some interesting reading on cash, go read what Warren Buffett says about how much cash that Berkshire, because emergency funds are for emergencies, but they can also be for opportunities. He says, uh, when it's raining gold, reach for a bucket, not a thimble. You got to have a bucket to go grab. So emergency funds are a great place. You never know when an opportunity is going to go present itself. Go read Warren Buffett's financial disclosures on what he has options to buy Bank of America at. Go read what he bought Goldman Sachs at in mm -hmm. 2008. Cash is king also for going up there and picking things apart when their intrinsic value is so above what you're yep. buying at. Pay attention to that. Here's another thing. I'm going to tell you, I, I resemble this mistake. So a lot of my wisdom comes from making mistakes too. So I don't want you to think I'm telling you this stuff and don't know how to make mistakes myself because some of this is a learning experience for me. Home equity lines of credits. A lot of you are probably thinking because we're in an appreciating market again. A lot of you are probably buying houses. You watch that house appreciate and two or three years later, you're like, voila, I don't need cash in the bank because the bank will give me access to this home equity line of credit where I have a checkbook. These yeah. guys gave me a checkbook. How more liquid could you be than a checkbook or a credit card? Guess what? It's not liquid because I can tell you in 2008, we've been here, we've seen how this game works. When the real estate market gets beaten up, the bank will very, very politely send you a letter in the mail and say, guess what? We know you got a checkbook. We know you have that credit card that's linked to that home equity line. It doesn't work anymore. We've shut that down. You better pay off the loan that you have because we don't think your house is worth what we originally thought. That happens. So don't count on your home equity line of credit to get you out of trouble. That's not going to be your emergency reserves if all things go bad. And that's what, why is it called an emergency reserve? Is because it's there for when things are bad. So pay attention to that. So let's talk about what's important. Okay. Let's give some stats yep. here. What do you think the first threshold is? What's the average person who's out there working, Bo, that's not retired? How much 
cash and emergency reserves should they have on hand? Your goal should be somewhere, depending on your job, depending on your status, somewhere between three to six months of your expenses. So go figure out what it costs for you to run your household. That's rent, mortgage, utilities, groceries, eating out, deductibles, fill in the blank. Whatever you spend on a monthly basis, you need to have in pure liquid emergency savings three to six months. That's a great advice. And look, if you're trying to figure out in my three months, in my six months, really depends on how long you think you'll be unemployed. If you're in a, in a career path where like coming when I was in public accounting, I probably could have been three months. Mm -hmm. I would have been fine. But if you're more specialized in some of the tech fields and other things, you might need six months. Yep. So it's how long it's going to take you to replace that income if the rug got ripped out from underneath you. Um, if you're retired, by the way, if you're a person that's actually about to be retired and you're crossing that threshold, it's not three to six months for you. Now it could be very well somewhere between 18 to 36 months. Yep. That's a very specialized decision. You know, I can't give you specifics on that, but it very well know it could be 18. That's a year and a half to three years. The reason is because you don't want to have to go sell something yep. that's getting its teeth kicked in when you're making that threshold into retirement because you never know. Nobody, no matter what they tell you, knows what the stock market's going to do next year. So you want to go ahead and make sure you bulletproof yourself as much as possible. Yep. And then the other thing, go out there, guys, do your research. Go to bankrate.com, see what the high yield FDIC insured online savings banks will pay you because your brick and mortar guys are probably paying you less than a quarter of a percent. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get between two and two and a half percent on FDIC insured cash right now. Go make that money work because that two percent, that's legit yep. now. That's go buy you some meals. That's go do some other things. That'll put some shoes on the kids. So, so definitely go pay attention to what's going on with your cash accounts because cash is not just complete trash anymore. You can actually get some yield. I'm just thinking that should be like the marketing slogan for some high-yield bank. This will put some shoes on your kids. No, it's true. I mean, and we've Brian all Preston. been in points. That's why emergency funds are simple. I'm just telling you, this money, you need to think about every dollar. What can it be doing for you? Because this is your army of dollar bills. I want every dollar to have a purpose, and I want it to be as responsible and efficient and functional and successful. Because you know what happens? When this dollar is working good, this dollar is working good, they start stacking on top of each other. Before you know it, you are at the level that you want to be with financial independence and you're successful. Yep. So simple, may not be sexy. It's not going to turn heads, but I can tell you this. It's going to give you some peace of mind. It's also going to put you on a path that puts you head and shoulders above a lot of your peers. And look, you do these steps now because... When you get to 50, when you get to 60, and you want to start living life the way you want to, it's going to show that you've got that swagger, That's that right. you've, yeah, maybe you didn't get to drive the fancy car or live in the fancy house like some of your friends and neighbors, but then one day they wake up and go, how did they end up with money? How is he already retiring? Yeah. How much does he have to have in the bank to be able to retire already? Yep. It's because you made these simple decisions at the right time. That's right. Bo, what do we do for a day job? Yeah, if you are someone out there like, man, I love what these guys say. I love what I'm hearing. I feel like I think about money the same way, but man, I could use some help. My life has gotten complicated. I'd love to simplify it. Or maybe it's just gotten past the point where I feel comfortable. Every day, we try to help people make really good financial decisions. Uh, I think, and I'm a little biased on this, I think we have the best financial planning team in the world with our advisors here. So if you're curious about taking to the next level, if you've either run out of time to do it yourself, reached a level of complexity, 
intensity where you're nervous about doing it, or the gravity of your decisions is just so big, you really wanna make sure that you don't screw it up and you have a second set of eyes, we would love to hear from you. Go out to moneyguide.com, you can contact us, go to Abound Wealth, you can contact us, and we just appreciate you letting us be here to share the good news of sound financial management. Becoming wealthy, the concepts are simple, but somehow it's just not easy. The journey is not easy. Guys, thank you for tuning in to The Money Guy Show and becoming part of The Money Guy family. We're going to help you continue to make these great decisions, complete the abundance cycle where we just come, you give all the free advice. We love on you. You're going to learn, apply, and grow those assets until one day. This is going to be who you talk to at Abound Wealth. So reach out to us, moneyguy.com. Also, don't forget, subscribe and put the notification. Hit the bell, ring the bell just like you were at your favorite fast food joint as you're walking out because we want you to get the notifications and become a subscriber on YouTube. And then go to our website, moneyguy.com, type in your email address and zip code because at some point in the next 18 months, we do want to start doing some road trips and other things. We'd love to know where you are. And look, we do some deliverables from time to time. We like to keep you in the loop. So go check that out. Moneyguy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Mr. Bo Hansen. We'll be back soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 